Well, if you would please, I would uh, invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Nahum. The book of, of Nahum. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, you have um, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, uh, Micah, and Nahum. Nahum. Before I read, I'd like to just start with a word of prayer. Nahum chapter 1 we'll be looking at. Father, I thank you for just the the privilege of being a part of a congregation, a people that loves you and um, just a part of a family. And Lord, it, it just seems like we haven't had our family together in so long and we're still so scattered, but... You know, you know those things, and and you're you're gracious and kind. May we be patient on you, and and wait for that time that we can be together again. And we look forward to that. Uh, I do pray that you'd bless our time in your Word. May you just refresh our hearts. May we be reminded of the great God that you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we recognize, I think we're all acutely aware, it seems like, especially this time of year, going into a new year, that these are uncertain times. And we have to ask the question, what are we to do? How do we, how do we move forward into 2021? And I just want to take one Sunday and kind of address some of these things that just need to be addressed, kind of pull our thoughts together as we move into this new year. The more America descends, I think, into a direction that is excluding God and excludes His Word, His righteousness, His worldview, and ultimately His people, folks, that's us, we can anticipate the building up of God's wrath, of God's anger, just like in, in Noah's day, we can, we can imagine Noah's day. Noah preached 120 years. God's wrath was built up and he flooded the earth and destroyed the whole of humankind except those who were in the ark. And we have images of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's day where God just poured out his uh, fire on two cities there. Or... Sometimes he would use uh, Israel uh, to take down the the large city of Jericho, and and he would do it in a, in a spectacular way. And sometimes that those thoughts of judgment uh, come to mind, and it, and it could be that way. America is not exempt from God's judgment. We can anticipate God at some point unleashing His. Uh, wrath upon our cities and our people. Maybe not in this kind of way. Maybe in a, a passive way. A passive judgment where he just removes his hand of, of grace and he just allows America to go the direction they want to go. And ultimately we just destroy ourselves. Calvin said all God has to do is give a country wicked leaders and it would destroy itself. And when we talk about God's wrath, we are we we get nervous 
Especially when God's wrath on our nation, we, we feel uncomfortable, uneasy about talking about these things. It, it brings anxiety in our hearts and insecurity and a little bit of panic maybe in, in our hearts. And none of us want to see uh, these things happen to our country, but we, we can we can see that it's it's going to happen, but we don't want to see it. it makes us feel uncomfortable. We we want a secure country, and we want to do everything that we can to to see that happen. But as America falls victim to God's judgment, um, we tend to want to hide. We don't know really what to do, but, but we, we know we, we need to be looking for a safe place. I remember when I was young, I grew up in the 60s. I was born in 1964, and so I was a child during this time of, uh, of upheaval in America. And I just remember seeing the television and just the complete unrest in our nation, Term, turmoil and chaos on the news, um, and really... All, all around us, um, civil unrest, racial tensions, the sexual revolution that was taking place, even within the families, destroying families and, and breaking up families, then you have political unrest. And within our own family, there was a, a death. My brother was killed in 1972. And as a child, just going through that unrest and that, that time, um, it's disturbing. And you, you want to find a, a safe place. You want to find some place that is secure. You, you kind of want to hide. Um, and really, we see that a home is a, a safe place. The picture of a, a home is a picture of shelter and security and a sanctuary and, and and our children need to sense that even when there's turmoil going on they need to have a home that things are safe and we all crave that really don't we and, and as believers we know that our security our safety is in God it's in God but what does it look like the word nahum means comforter or comfort just means comfort. And it's, a, it's short for Nehemiah, which Nehemiah means the comfort of Yahweh. Yahweh's comfort. But despite the, the name, this little pr- prophetic book is not pronouncing comfort. It's pronouncing judgment on Nineveh. Verse 1, the oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the... Elkishite. He was a prophet of God and he was a, a, a prophet of comfort, but he was pronouncing comfort or pronouncing judgment on Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. It was a world power at that time, one of the largest cities in the world. And uh, it was the enemy of God's people, Assyria was, uh, particularly Nineveh was. And it was a threat to Judah. Nineveh, like I said, was a a large city. It was located northeast of, uh, 500 miles northeast of Israel on the Tigris River. And it was a a wicked city, wicked people. 
that lived there, about 6,000, 600,000 people that lived there. And they were particularly cruel, uh, cruel forms of child sacrifice can be traced back to, to Nineveh, the most cruel uh, people. And they were known for their cruelty. And they would boast of a, a, a city that was invincible. And Nahum here, this little book, is a, a sequel to the book of Jonah. If you remember, Jonah was, uh, it was really about a hundred years earlier that God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And Jonah preached in three days that city repented and turned to the Lord. But now, a hundred years later, they've, they've fallen back to violence and idolatry and arrogance and child sacrifice and uh, worship of other gods, uh, temple prostitution, the whole nine yards, all of it. And God is writing, giving this little book as a comfort to Judah because he is pronouncing judgment upon this wicked city. That God is going to destroy this wicked city. Now we might say, it might say something like this today, that we know that, that Russia and, and China, China, they spy on us. They want to interfere in our election. That's been proven. Or they want to uh, uh, take our intellectual property. And, and if God pronounced, I'm going to destroy China, if I'm going to destroy Russia, then we would, be, uh, we would feel a little bit more secure. And that's, that's what was happening here in this little book. God was pronouncing judgment on Nineveh. In chapter 1, he decrees uh, dis- destruction on Nineveh. Chapter 2, he describes that destruction. In chapter 3, uh, he tells why they deserve that destruction. There's a couple of prophets, prophecies that I want you to take note of, though. In chapter 1 and verse 8... It says, but when an overwhelming flood, an overwhelming flood, or with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of its sight. It's essentially predicting that through a flood, it's going to be destroyed. And we know that in 612 B.C. that the Tigris River overflowed its banks and it took out a section of the wall, their protection. King Nebuchadnezzar was able then. Uh, the king of Babylon was able to go in and conquer that city. God keeps his promise. God keeps his promise. He said it was going to happen, and it happened. In chapter 3 and verse 11, uh, just a, a little bit of a, uh, and a, and a, just a, a note that uh, this city would be, would be hidden. Uh, that prophecy was true as well. The city was so destroyed that archaeologists couldn't find it. They didn't find it until 1842. God keeps His promises. He promised to destroy a nation, and He destroys a nation. And we know this is not anything new. It's not a new idea to us. God's ability to uh, to destroy a nation, God's ability to raise up nations, as Daniel says, and, and God's ability to tear down nations, that's not a surprise to us. We've seen it in the past. We've seen, we can look at the history. He can do that. But we also need to remember that He is a gracious God and that He is a patient God. Um, at least to those who want to hear, He will give warnings. 
to, to those who will hear. And folks, I'm afraid that America today is much in the same position as Nineveh was many, many years ago. They were rich and powerful and successful nation, the capital of the, the, the world, essentially, this large city. They have had known the truth and they, then they rejected God. We know that God's wrath is building up against our nation. If God destroyed Nineveh, God is going to have to destroy America at some point. God's wrath is going to have to be unleashed on America at some point. We don't want to hear that. We don't, that makes us uncomfortable and we want to run to a safe place, which is good. But the reality is, is this is, this is the direction that our nation is going. And you can sense the, the tension. You can sense God's wrath being built. We need to listen to the advice of this little book. And there's just a couple of, couple of verses that I want to point our attention to. But our nation must be awakened to the reality of God's judgment before it's too late, folks. Let me say that again. America, our nation must be awakened to the reality of God's judgment before it's too late. Now, the key verses in verse 6 and verse 7. The question that, uh, that these two verses answer for us is, what is a nation to do? What is a nation to do when it's facing God's wrath? And we know that God's wrath uh, is inevitable. What are the people of God to do? What should we do? What should we do in 2021? Nahum gives us a, a couple of just striking realities, if you want to call it that. Just, just a reality check, you, you might say, that every country needs to face. Let me give you, there's two of them here. The first one is that God is a God to be feared. God is a God to be feared. Again, it's not profound. We know that. But look how he, he builds up this, this question. Starting in verse 2, let me read this. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful or possessor of wrath. The Lord takes vengeance upon his adversaries. He reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not, uh, will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwinds and storms is his way. The clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up the river, Bashan and, and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake before him and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence the world and all the inhabitants in it. And here's the question. It's leading up to this one question, this one piercing question in verse 6. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can stand before God's wrath? He has given us a picture 
if you will, of God's wrath, that, that God, he, he is fierce. He is controlling the elements. He has the ability to, to just pour out fire on cities and, and cause the mountains just to erupt and to a volcanic ash and to nothingness. He can break these things apart. You get the picture. Folks, today, I think the church, this is a, a, a Joel Osteen kind of American church that we have. And it's turned God into a big, cuddly, teddy bear kind of God. A, a nice God, a, a loving God, a sweet God, a, a God that doesn't have wrath. He, he doesn't he doesn't get angry. That's not the God of the Bible, folks. That is a, a God of man's own making. It's a different God of, that we see in Scripture. That's a an idol. It's a God that man wants to have. That's the kind of God that America thinks of today. And we as the church have have given the wrong impression of our God. God is a God to be feared. He is a God to be feared by all. The, the, the question is a rhetorical question. Who can stand in His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by Him. Now, who can stand? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. No one can stand. Not a president, not a, not a family, not a political party, not the strongest military. No one. God is to be feared. He is to be feared by all. And He is to be feared absolutely. There's no more or no one greater to be feared than God. He can do more damage than, than all, than anyone else. There's nothing more terrible than this God, the God of the Bible. He is a God to be feared. Now we know the problem men is that there's no fear of God before his eyes. Romans chapter 3. Uh, Paul makes that very clear. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the biggest problem that man has. And, and man needs to be uh, woken up to the reality uh, of, this, of this great God. And it's the church's job to do that. Uh, when uh, our kids were young, we would go to a lot of zoos. Uh, the Los Angeles Zoo or uh, various, various zoos. And, and I remember... There was one time uh, we were at the zoo that we were at this uh, one particular exhibit and um, I didn't realize how close we were to the lion uh, cage or the lion exhibit. And uh, but it was it was pretty close and we were looking at at this one particular exhibit and all of a sudden the, the lion just roared and it wasn't just a tiny roar. This was a an earth-shattering, piercing, deep-piercing roar that just shook us all. It got us, got all of our attention. We began to look for our kids kind of thing. Fear has the ability to clarify our minds of, of what's important. It, it kind of wakes us up out of our, our slumber. 
It removes the cobwebs like coffee in the morning. It just, it's a jolt. I think of Pearl Harbor that way. And Pearl Harbor was, was bombed in World War II. It just woke America up and we had to enter into war. The reality is, folks, we serve a fierce God, a God to be feared. What do we do about that? First of all, I think the church must portray the right image of God, right? We have to, we have to communicate somehow that God is not just a nice God. He's not just our friend. He's not just a buddy. He is a God to be feared. He's the God of the, the Bible. And I, I believe that we, we've in, brought him down to, and we, we believe in this inclusivism and that he's just like all the other gods and, and he's just a God of our own making. We are no longer a nation under one God. We're a nation under many gods. We just accept them all. And we, and because of that, <clears throat> they are our own making and, and we can uh, create our own standards and live by our own um, wit, if you will, and not by God's standards. In fact, what we do is we bring God down and now we're standing in judgment over Him as a, as a nation of God's past sins. The, the very fact that He's a vengeful God. We stand in judgment. Oh, well, does He have the right to do that? I mean, how, how can He be so bad to good people, right? I mean, he causes war, he causes slavery, he's, he is a, a mean God. We stand in judgment. How dare we? What a scary position that we are in as a nation to, to look down and to, to show some kind of superiority, moral superiority over God. Foolish. I think another thing that the church needs to do is we need to become more and more aware of the sins of America. We, we need to become more aware of, of our own sinfulness because I, I think what we do is we look at our, our country and, and how gracious God has been to us and we see the economy and we see the prosperity that we have and we see the, our powerfulness, if you will. Even our poor in this country are not at all like the poor. We have so much more than the poor of other other nations. And I believe that we're a lot like Nineveh. They don't see their own sinfulness. They don't realize that, that every sin deserves God's wrath and that wrath is just being built up. They don't realize it. We don't realize it. We are Americans. We see the prosperity. And we try to hide the abortion part. We try to hide the, the murders every weekend in Chicago. The, the abuse of authority, the pornography, the sex trafficking, the drug abuse. We try to hide those things. We, we no longer fear God. We're, we're no longer grateful to God for what He has what He has done for us. We marginalize His truth. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. His truth. Suppress His unrighteousness. And we buy into Satan's lies. And those lies just become mainstream. And folks, we, we just live in a sea of lies. You don't even know who to trust anymore. 
And we know that God's wrath is being built up. If you look back at verse 2, he says, He reserves wrath for his enemies. It just builds up. It's like a reserve here. He just keeps, keeps putting it in. It just builds up. The worst thing, folks, that the church can do is minimize God's wrath. We cannot call peace, peace when there is no peace. We, we, dare, not, <clears throat> we dare not give the, the world false hope. There, there is no, there's no escaping this. We must face the reality of this judgment. Now we as believers, we know that Christ has taken our punishment. He has taken our wrath, hasn't he? <laughs> what a wonderful thing. But folks, the rest of the world, the rest of the world is under God's wrath now. And a nation needs to fear God and the church needs to demonstrate how to fear God and and make sure we get the right God to fear. And the stark reality is that we must fear God. Number two, we'll just move quickly through this one. God is the only safe place for a refuge. Look at verse 7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. There's, you just see a, an abrupt change in, in, the, in the text here. It's a, a shift. Even an apparent contradiction. I mean, he just said how wrathful God was. And he built us a, a picture of God's wrath. And he, he pointed these things out to us. And then all of a sudden he says, the Lord is good. How, how can that be? I mean, why would, and he's a, a refuge, why would we run to him as a refuge if he is a, a vengeful God? Well, the author gives us three reasons. Number one is he is good. He is good. It, it means agreeable. It means ple, uh, he, he's um, pleasing. I, I love that. Now listen, here's the idea. He is the perfect balance, folks. The perfect balance of His holiness and His patience and His love and His kindness and His wrath. And they're all appropriate at the right time. He never does anything unrighteously or in an unrighteous way. He is appropriate. He is pleasant. So we run to Him like a refuge. We run to Him. He is our refuge. Another reason is that you notice that he's a stronghold. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Man, I love that. The one that, the one to be feared ultimately is going to offer the biggest protection for us, isn't he? Because no one else, no one else can beat him. He is the one to be feared. He's the only one really to to run to that can really offer a safe place. He can be trusted. And then number three, he knows those who take refuge in him. Why do we run to him? Why is he our refuge? Because he knows us. He knows us. That, That is amazing to me. It just reminds us of what we know in the New Testament that we are uh, Christ's sheep and, and He knows us and, and we know Him and, and He calls us to Himself and we have that loving relationship. He is not an uncaring, unfeeling God. He is a Father. That's wonderful things. He is a, 
a sanctuary. He is a refuge, a safe place. Nineveh had walls that were a hundred foot high. They had a moat 150 feet uh, wide and 60 foot deep. The water was. It was a large city. The the inner wall, the inner part of the city had it was walled in, and that was eight miles around. That was the inner city. The outer city that would include uh, the majority, probably the majority of the people in the safe place was 60 miles in circumference. When there was a warning, if you can imagine, the trumpets would blow. Maybe there was a threat or, or whatever. People would rush into the city and they would be walled off. They would be safe. They would be secure. That's a, that's a refuge. And God is our refuge. We take refuge in Him. Now, what does that mean? You, you've heard that. And I've heard that. And we can, it can be some kind of cliché. But what does that mean? I want us to go into 2021 as God is our refuge. But I want us to understand what that means. What does that mean? It means we we run to him. We run into a refuge, right? It's like they would run into that city, the walled city. Does that mean do you run to the church? Do you run to your pastor? No, what what does that mean? It just simply means you acknowledge His presence. You don't have to run anywhere physically. He is there. You just acknowledge His presence. It doesn't matter where you are. It's a matter of prayer, isn't it? He's in every place. So, So it means to acknowledge Him. Acknowledge that He exists. Acknowledge that He is there. Acknowledge that you belong to Him as a believer. Number two, it means that we hold to his truths. In the New Testament, we see in John chapter 17, we see Christ said, sanctify them in truth. What sets us apart from the world is this truth, is, is a scriptural worldview. We, we understand God and, and his world from his truth, who he is, his theology, what he's like, what his world is like. We understand that, so we hold to those truths. That's what it means to run to and Him being our refuge. We recognize, we acknowledge His presence, and and we hold to His truth. That defines our world. That defines our our world. Scripture is sufficient. His world, this world view that He gives us from Scripture, His truth is sufficient for us, and that defines our world. And number three, it means we also trust His protection. He's a refuge. We recognize, recognize His, His presence. We hold to His truth. It defines us. And, and, and then we trust His protection, that He is a real God. That he is fully aware of what's going on in our life. That he is a good shepherd. And that we shall not want. So what do we do? How do we go into 2021? Well, a lot of it. We do the same thing that we've been doing. We find our refuge in God. No matter what happens in 2021. We run to Him. We come on Sunday mornings. We recognize His presence. We congregate. 
We pray. We listen to His truths. We allow His truths to define our world. Essentially, Christ said it like this. We just make disciples. That's what He's called us to do. That's what we do. That's what we do, folks. We make disciples. We have a new generation coming up. We need to disciple them. We have to disciple our, our young men, our, uh, our young ladies. We have to disciple them. We've been doing that. We need to continue to do that. We need to take the Word of God and we need to teach them. And we need to teach them to trust, to trust God's protection over our life. That God is in control. He he may be a God of wrath, but He is also a God who knows us. So we continue to do the things that we've been doing. But maybe we do them now with a little bit more earnestness. Tuesday morning we have a men's group. 630. I would encourage you men to be a part of that. There there has to be a a wisdom going into 2021. There has to be an iron sharpening iron. And I would encourage you just for the preparation of your family to be a part, men, of of some discipleship program. Wednesday nights, we we have a lot of, of classes on Wednesday night going on for our young men, for our our women, our children. Hopefully we can ramp those things back up again here soon. But we make disciples. And and we, we just move forward. And we do it with confidence, folks. We do it with confidence. And we do it with confidence because... We can be certain in uncertain times. Um, A nation must be awakened to the reality that God's judgment, of God's judgment before it's too late. We've got to make sure that a nation is aware of that. But we do that by demonstrating, folks, our refuge in God. Demonstrating our fear for, for God in an appropriate way. Folks, we can move forward in 2021 with confidence, with uncertain times, not knowing what in the world God is going to do with our country. We really don't know. Don't know how things are going to go. But folks, we can be certain of the God that we serve we know his character. His character is laid out in Scripture. We know him. He knows us. We can rest secure in him no matter what America goes through. We are God's people as a church. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have to say this as just a reminder of the gospel. We have to turn from our own sinfulness. We have to recognize our sinfulness, recognizing God's judgment upon our life, turning from that and turning to Him in faith. That's the gospel, that Christ died for us. He took God's wrath upon Himself on the cross. And all that sets us apart from the world is that we've put our faith in Him and we allowed Him to take our punishment. And because of that, He is our refuge. He is our shepherd. And He is a good shepherd. But we have to represent Him well in this world, and I pray that we do so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank You for Your grace.
as we just move through these two little verses and Lord gained any kind of encouragement that we could gain from this this passage. It is discouraging when we look at what's going on around us, our nation. It seems like it's going in a completely wrong direction. We know that you are capable of turning that around. And Lord, we pray for that. We pray for a revival. But Lord, we pray for our own hearts. May we find refuge in you. May we not find it in the world. May we not even look in the world for our comfort, for our security, for our safe place. Lord, may we only find it in you. And Lord, we thank you for being a great God, a God of wrath, angry at sin, because you're just in doing that. And Lord, thank you for being a God of love and a good God and the safest place of of refuge for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.